Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Untold Story podcast, everybody. I'm Martha McCallum, and I'm really pleased to have with me Florida Congressman Michael Waltz today. And uh, just by way of background, for those of you who uh, I guess have been living under a rock and don't know a lot about Congressman Waltz, um, he's the first Green Beret to serve in Congress from Florida, combat decorated veteran, former White House and Pentagon advisor. He's owned a small business. He's a proud dad. And we are really pleased to have him with us today, Congressman. And thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, sure, Martha. So, you know, I'd love to talk to you about what happened last week at the NATO meeting in Lithuania, because the more that we that's revealed about what was going on behind the scenes here, I think the more we understand how tense it really was. Um, Obviously, Mm -hmm. the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, wants to be part of NATO. He wants guarantees, assurances, and he called the process of pushback unprecedented and absurd. So he was pretty fired up. What can you tell us about about the backstory here? Well, you know, NATO had, I mean, excuse me, Ukraine and actually Georgia, if you remember the Russian invasion back in 2008, uh, they were pushing for NATO membership uh, in the early 2000s on the heels of the late 90s NATO uh, expansion. So, you know, from his perspective, I think Ukraine has been asking for this for quite some time. And I think from the Ukrainian perspective, had they had it, uh, perhaps Putin uh, would not have invaded. Um, I actually think this was the right call on the Biden administration. One of the few that I'll say that mm-hmm. about uh, in holding off right now for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, it would have immediately pulled NATO and the United States into a war with Russia, uh, because as soon as you know the next Russian attack uh, uh, hit Ukraine after NATO membership, they would have invoked Article Five of the treaty, and we all would have uh, we all would have been pulled in. Uh, and then you know number two is I feel strongly that there should be no more NATO expansion. We just had Finland and Sweden um, until the rest of NATO steps up and lives up, Martha, to its commitment to for 2% of its GDP spent on its own defense. I know a lot of Americans, uh, and I'm one of them, are sick and tired of the United States basically subsidizing European defense. We spend our defense dollars well above 2%. We're at about 3.5% of our GDP. And, and the European countries, mainly Germany, Italy, and France, spend their money on their social programs. And so enough is enough. And they need to live up their commitments before we expand any further. Yeah, I think this is a, a really important point. And, um, 
you know, one of the things that I think is becoming more and more apparent as, as Americans discuss all of this is, you know, why, is, why aren't the NATO allies in Europe? Um, and what do you think about what the UK has done or not done at this point? Um, you know, give us your assessment yeah. because it is their backyard. And we are obviously right. the leader of the free world still. Uh, last time I checked, although I think there's, you know, a lot of <laughs> countries that would like to knock us off that pedestal. Um, tell me about what you think is coming coming from Europe with regard to NATO and the UK. Well, the, the UK is, is a bit unique in that they've been more forward-leaning uh, in terms of the types of weaponry they were willing to give the Ukrainians, whether it was uh, long-range missiles uh, or even uh, they've left some advisors there that, that never left uh, to actually help the Ukrainians more effectively use the equipment. What they provided is uh, to the tune of a couple of billion compared to 36 billion uh, with the United States. But they have been, you know, Biden has really kind of drug his feet at times, whether it was Patriot missiles, uh, HIMARS, long range uh, uh, missiles, tanks, F-16s, uh, and the and the UK has really led the way and kind of pushing Biden to give more advanced weaponry faster. Uh, and then along with them, the countries that stand in Russia's path, namely Poland, Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, uh, the ones that if Putin realizes his dream of reconstituting the old Soviet Union, uh, they would get hit next after Ukraine. They've really stepped up, but it's the big European countries, Germany, Italy, uh, France, and to a lesser extent, Spain, that are providing a fraction of the aid uh, that they've even promised. And that's who uh, we should be seeing Biden and his team, like President Trump was, putting a finger in, in their chest, diplomatically, of course, but you know, demanding that they do more and holding their feet to the fire. Uh, and they just, for a variety of reasons, just haven't, not only when it comes to this major war on their doorstep, over the years, over the last 20 years. You know, um Noting that uh, the British Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly, is going to chair a meeting at the U.N. Security Council. It's their rotating turn to talk about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And I'm actually going to have an opportunity to speak with him out in Aspen at the security conference uh, midweek this week as well. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to note that the defense secretary in the U.K., Ben Wallace, made a comment about Zelensky's request for support, saying, you know, we're not Amazon, something to that effect, right? Like, you can't just Put, push a button right, yeah. and expect it to be on your doorstep the next day. And, and I'm sensing that there is pushback in some quarters in the UK about support for the war. And you, you see it here as well. And I think it's going to be a major issue on the debate stage and other places as well. Um, so what do you make of those comments coming from the UK defense secretary? Well, I think it shows uh, some frustration with, with Zelensky just, you know, really can never get enough. Uh, and he does need to, in my view, on the international stage, show gratitude uh, and, and show appreciation to the taxpayers of all these countries that are sending their, their arms and their treasure. Uh, I think that needs to be the first thing out of, uh, you know, coming out of his mouth, frankly. But I also understand his internal politics. And when he made those comments about, uh, you know, not being allowed into NATO and that it was quote unquote absurd, I think that was for his own domestic audience. He needs to be seen by Ukrainians as doing everything he can to get every bullet, mm -hmm. every missile, uh, every weapon system as their, you know, 
literally being slaughtered in the east and the south. So I think that's what you're seeing. Uh, you're seeing his domestic versus what he probably should be uh, saying internationally. At the end of the NATO meeting, that was the tone and tenor you heard uh, from Zelensky. I'll just say, Martha, just very quickly, as we head into the presidential year uh, and, the president, uh, and, the, and the presidential campaign, I think you're going to see a couple of things. One, a lot of frustration with the Europeans, as I've, uh, mm-hmm. as I've laid out, particularly the big economies uh, that have delivered half of what the United States have. And then number two, a lot of frustration. I think this is uh, rightly so. Uh, in what does success look like? How does this end? Are we in another endless war? And the strategy can't be, which is what we've heard from Biden, as long as it takes, here's a blank check. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's not in our interest, even though I'm supportive of helping uh, the Ukrainians. If they're willing to do the fighting and dying, they're asking for the beans and bullets. I think it's in our interest. But for how long and to what end? Yeah. Um, this is from a Washington Post report that came out you know, a couple of days into NATO. And it says that uh, the President Zelensky's confrontational tweet this week, challenging NATO leaders on the glacial pace of his war-torn country's admission into the alliance, so roiled the White House that U.S. officials involved with the process considered scaling back the invitation for Kyiv to join, according to six people familiar with the matter. You know, and remember that that President Biden said in an interview the weekend before NATO, you know, it's premature for for them to join. And then the language did seem to evolve, you know, to the point where he was like, of course, we're going to let you in in an hour and 20 minutes after the war's over. We'll let Ukraine in. But what do you think about that White House tension over even potentially starting to say essentially, look, you know, um, we're going to roll this back, this invitation? Well, you know, my sense is uh, is that. Biden knows he's heading into a into a, a tough political contest. His unfavorables are incredibly high. Uh, President Trump has made it clear not only that he would drive this thing to the negotiating table, he's actually uh, you know, enumerated how. Uh, and I think a lot of people are very wary. I certainly hear loud and clear from my constituents of, you know, are we in another endless war and how much is enough and where is this all going? Uh, and so I think that's that was the tension that you're hearing. But then he gets over there, he gets into Europe, and he's in the club, uh, right? Mm-hmm. He, yeah, everybody's slapping him on the back because why? Because we're once again subsidizing European defense. They can kind of have the status quo that works in a lot of those prime ministers' interests, and you, and you see some some happier language coming out at the end. The untold story continues right after this. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. So, you know, um, I was listening to some people talk about this who cover defense very closely, and they were, you know, basically saying, look, in the end, this whole NATO discussion, it's not really what matters. What matters is what's happening on the ground militarily and, you know, what we need to do to preserve produce the best outcome for everyone, which is the end of the war, and also, you know, putting Putin back on his heels so that he doesn't try this again anytime soon. Um, but when you look at the what's happened, we really are in the same situation that we were in back in November in terms of where the lines are drawn between Ukraine and Russia. The territory that they have taken 
they still have it. They had 7% before he started this invasion, Putin. Now they're at about 17.5% of Ukraine. And everything that we've done right. to help and, and every all the courageous um, work on Ukrainian military's behalf um, hasn't really gone anywhere in quite some time. Your thoughts? Well, I do think we have to take a step back and remember General Milley and others saying that Russia was going to slice through Ukraine in 72 hours and take the whole country. Uh, and if that were the case, I have no doubt that Putin would live up to his promise of then moving on to parts of Poland and parts of the Baltics that are NATO allies. Uh, and that would then draw us by treaty into the war. So, I, you know, I do want to say that we did stop uh, Russia from doing that. Uh, it has, you're right, been in a stalemate for quite some time. And I think it's because the Biden administration has been helping the Ukrainians not lose rather than giving them what they need uh, to be successful and win and end this thing. Uh, and they've, I mean, we could go down the long list, Patriot air defense, tanks, uh, uh, stingers in the early days of the war. I was there the month before the war and everything was no, no, too provocative, too escalatory. Let's hope Putin doesn't do this. Uh, and, and because they've trickled things in, we've now kind of settled into a, into a stalemate. Uh, and, and I think the Biden administration has got to figure out what it wants to do. Do they want to help them win and to what end? Uh, or do they want to drive this to the negotiating table? Uh, and either way, let's use some leverage and sit all of that aside. Martha, what's so frustrating to me is the biggest amount of leverage that we have on Putin actually isn't on the battlefield. It's economically with our reserves of oil and gas. We should be flooding the world with American energy, drive those prices down and starve Putin of his ability to uh, to fund his war machine. Mm -hmm. Instead, we're working against each other as the Chinese. Uh, it's amazing to watch the Chinese right. power their solar panel plants with Russian coal and Russian gas. And meanwhile, we're working against each other uh, at both ends and we're doing nothing about it. Yeah, we have um, put these sanctions on sales of Russian oil, but the Chinese, I think, have I don't know if I'm going to get the number right. They, they've increased it dramatically. I think they've tripled the amount of about, Russian energy. Is that right? Yeah, about 50% increase yeah. in Russian energy just over the last year and a half. We should be putting secondary sanctions on these Chinese firms uh, to starve that Russian market. But I don't think for a second that was at the top of the list when Blinken traveled over there and then Yellen uh, traveled over there. So we're, we're literally working against each other, you know, kind of burning both ends of the rope. So let me ask you this, um, you know, because everybody watches what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, and we just mentioned one, one party that watches it really closely, and that's China. So when we are heading into this presidential election period, what would you want to know? I'm asking you to do some of my homework here for me. What would you want to know from these GOP candidates about what action they would take economically against China? Would they, are they in favor of yeah. decoupling our economy to the greatest extent possible? Um, you know, what, what would you want to know? How would you put their feet to the fire on China? Yeah, I would want, I think there's four main things that we need to do uh, to not just maintain pace with, but outpace 
uh, China. Uh, one is arm Taiwan to the teeth so that every time she thinks he's ready to take it, uh, he says, uh, not yet. Two is invest in our own military that is still woefully suffering uh, from recruiting. It's suffering in leadership. Uh, it's suffering from the Middle East wars and that shift to the Pacific. But the bigger pieces, I think what you're getting at, uh, are economically. And she intends to win uh, and defeat uh, the United States economically well before it comes to any military confrontation. What puts some meat on the bones on what reshoring and bringing our supply chains out of China looks like? That's to the United States in my mind, if not to the United States, the Western Hemisphere. Heck, if we could get some manufacturing in Central America, maybe we solve the immigration problem along with uh, our supply chain problem, or even with major allies like India uh, and Japan, if it doesn't make sense to bring it here. But put some meat on the bones there. And then, Martha, we are funding our greatest adversary with the amount of the billions that are flowing from JP Morgan, from BlackRock, from our state pension funds. They are literally, the Chinese are funding their military buildup on our dollar. And I you know, want to hear some detail from all of the candidates on how they're going to stop that. Give me some more detail on, on that, on how they're doing that, how JP Morgan and BlackRock um, and our pension funds are, are, are funding the expansion of Chinese military. Well, heck, it's 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 them, but this will really kind of, I think, blow your mind and your viewers' mind, is our own military 401k plan. So sailors are over in the Pacific sending money home, thinking they're saving for retirement. The board up in Wall Street that looks over that $800 billion in assets is investing it right back into Beijing. Heck, yeah. the company, the shipyard that just launched their new aircraft carrier is receiving those funds. So, you know, I have a measure and I, I would like to see these candidates uh, support ones like it that say if it's going to an adversary, uh, then we're going to pull those funds back, whether it is China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela. Uh, if it's a declared adversary in our national security strategy, we're not going to pour our capital and we're going to scrutinize, for example, the Chinese companies that are listed on our own stock exchange, but don't have to abide by our own accounting standards. There's just a lot of loopholes that an administration can close. The Trump administration with Robert O'Brien and Brad Cliff uh, and, um, uh, and others moved in that direction. But, you know, they, they needed more time to get Wall Street on board. And we need some corporate patriotism, frankly. You know, I, I get it. They want to make their next quarterly bonus or their next earnings. But, you know, they are funding our greatest adversary. And at the end of the day, it's, it's going to come bite us all. Yeah, it is incredible that the pension fund for members of the United States military is investing in Chinese companies. That I mean, they might just laugh when they see that. Do you think the Chinese, yeah. um, you know, Chinese <laughs> funds to support their military are invested in American companies? Heck no. <laughs> right. And, you know, I mean, Lenin famously said the capitalists will sell us the rope that we use right. to turn around and hang them. Uh, and that's exactly what we're doing. The Chinese have figured out how to use our own greed. Uh, I want everybody to make money, but not with our adversaries. Right. Um, but to use uh, capitalism against us into their ends. But it's not just Wall Street. It's academia. It's Hollywood. Uh, it's the sports industry and the NBA. We're going to be calling them to some hearings 
hearings uh, in Congress uh, as well. And uh, you know, we can also put human rights restrictions on them. You know, we shouldn't be buying a single solar panel, even though China produces 90% that's made with slave labor and powered with coal. Mm -hmm. uh, think of the hypocrisy there. So I think there's some real restrictions uh, that are common sense and that a future administration can put in place. The Trump team made some good first steps, uh, but we, we've got to build on that. And right now, this administration with its obsession over climate and driving us towards a Green New Deal when China's building the solar panels, wind turbines, and controls the raw materials are just trading one dependency for another, except this dependency is with our greatest ally. All right. I, I said before I let you go, but I've got another before I let you go. And I want to ask you a little bit about politics sure. because um, it's fascinating to me that there are three GOP presidential candidates from your home state of Florida. Obviously, the former president is in first place right now in all the polling by a mile. Um, a lot of people very, very surprised that DeSantis hasn't taken off more strongly since he announced his candidacy. In fact, he's fallen back by several percentage points. points. And then you have uh, the mayor of Miami, Mayor Suarez of, of, of Miami. Um, thoughts on what's going on there with, with DeSantis? Are you surprised? I know that you, a while ago, you, you expressed your own support for former President Trump. But what do you think about what's going on in the DeSantis campaign? Yeah. You know, Martha, I, I endorsed President Trump. Uh, not only was he always responsive uh, to me and my constituents, every single time I called, he answered or called back within hours, even from the Oval Office or Air Force One or wherever he was. I don't know how he did it. Uh, but two, um, those policies. I don't buy into the, the notion that you get all of those policies, the Remain in Mexico, Title 42, Abraham Accords, crime, the economy, the shift on China, Soleimani, Baghdadi, maximum pressure on Iran. I don't think you get all of that, Space Force even, mm -hmm. without the person. I don't think you get SpaceX without Elon. I don't think you get, uh, you know, you don't get Apple without Steve Jobs. I think for Governor DeSantis, he has been a phenomenal governor, huge fan of the job he's done uh, as governor, but his message to the nation has been on the one hand, I think to Trump's base supporters, well, they're gonna vote for President Trump and for all the reasons that I just listed. And those who want an alternative see him, I think, as you know, trying to go to the right of President Trump on some issues. And I think you know, the message has just gotten muddled there uh, personally. But at the end of the day, my advice to President Trump uh, is to start talking about how he's going to beat Biden, how he's going to attract uh, suburban women, how he's going to attract independents, uh, and to craft that winnability argument of how he is uh, uh, how he is going to win the general election, because at 20, 30 points ahead uh, in the primary, I think he needs to, to be looking towards the general at this point. So interesting. Congressman Michael Waltz, always great to have you. Thank you very much. I love getting some expanded time to talk to you because when we're on the show, it's always a little bit quick and I always want to pick your brain a little bit more. Yeah. So um, I really want to thank you for coming on The Untold Story and spending some time with me. I hope we can do it again soon. Thank you, sir. Hey, thanks, Martha. And, and you're right. It's nice to be able to have a longer conversation. Exactly. These, are, these are complex issues. Yeah, they, for sure. Indeed thanks they so are. Much. All right, we'll continue it. Thank you so much, sir. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with the Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free 
free on the Amazon Music app. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.